Thank you so much for being here with us uh, this weekend. For those of you that are worshiping with us on, online at home, thank you for joining us that way too. We're grateful that we can gather together. Um, I want to just, uh, as we begin, uh, many of you have heard me talk about my parents before. They both since passed and are home with Jesus today. Um, my um, mom and dad were incredible parents. They did such a good job investing in each of us, each of, uh, each of uh, our lives, my life and each of my siblings. And so uh, over the years, there were a lot, you know how we are in this mind game series and so often there are things that just become part of our lives because of the circumstances and the situations that we're faced that become part of this mental battle that we all have to fight. And so as I was growing up, we, there, were, there were some pretty lean times in the Miller home. Uh, there were a couple of times when my dad lost his job and he had to look for work and things got very, very tight. And some of you know what that's like. You've walked through some of those things before. This is, these, these are a couple of things that I remember. I remember very rarely going out to eat with my parents. And if we did, we could not order a drink. <laughs> and my dad was super frugal, so I, I never remember saying, hey, dad, can I have a piece of gum and getting a full piece of gum? He ripped it in half every time, every time. And uh, so I, I just know because I'm a dad now and I understand how we think and how sometimes those thoughts can overtake us. My dad never wanted us to struggle the way that they did. And so I remember when I told my dad that we're heading off to school that I was going to be a pre-med major. He was just elated because that meant that there was likely going to be some security financially down the road for that, which worked really well until the second semester of my freshman year and I took organic chemistry, which changed my major and I decided that I was going to go into psychology and my dad was not okay with that. He was worried that we were going to starve and, you know, I need to have something to fall back onto. And that lasted until my junior year. Right before my junior year, I felt like the Lord was calling me to student ministry. <laughs> and he, my dad was like, oh my gosh, like you guys are going to starve. You know, this is going to be horrible. And, and it took a few years for dad to just really get to a place where he knew that that was a calling in my life and this is what I needed to do. But those memories that we have have a way of impacting us, don't they? And I can remember, Beth and I, as a matter of fact, it's our anniversary today. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. 29 years she's been putting up with me, so that's a big deal. But uh, I can remember there being some very lean time. And Dad was right that we weren't going to have uh, a lot of resource in student ministry. Ministry can be tough. And, and I can remember uh, there was a route that we had to take home from one of the churches that I worked at where we would have to drive past the McDonald's every time. And so we got this old ratty minivan full of kids. And just like your kids, my kids would ask this question every time we, Dad, can we go to McDonald's? And this is true because we were living in some lean moments in our lives. Like, as a matter of fact, there were, there were times where the only way we ate is because our family was on wick and we got cheese and eggs and milk and we ate a lot of, good thing my wife's from Wisconsin, right? <clears throat> But I can remember driving past and the kids saying, hey, dad, can we go, in, go to McDonald's and knowing that there just wasn't enough resource in our checkbook to cover that. And it hit me deeply. It hit me. And you know, dad was right. This is going to be a tough run. And I felt like, man, this is not, I really wish that I could provide for my kids just McDonald's. Come on, that's not that big of a deal. 
But we're in this series called Mind Games, and you know how these things work, because likely this might happen to you sometimes too, but maybe not in the exact way, but maybe in another kind of nuanced way. Um, You know, when my kids would say, hey, Dad, can we get McDonald's? My head would start to go, no, sorry, guys, there's no resource for that. And then I'd start to think, you know, Dad was right. And then if you're not careful where your mind can go is, you know, listen, I'm a loser, man. My kids are going to hate me, and they're going to hate my job. And if they hate my job, that means they're going to hate the church. And if they hate the church, that means they're going to hate Jesus. And if they hate Jesus, then then that means that they're not going to have a relationship with him that I want them to have. And if they don't have a relationship with him, then their lives are going to be a mess. And if their lives are a mess, that means their friends are going to be a mess. And if their friends are a mess, that means they're going to do bad stuff. And if they do bad stuff, then they're going to get used to doing bad stuff. And then bad stuff will be their destiny. And that happens, and then because that's their destiny, it's going to lead to a life of crime. And a life of crime for sure means that that's going to result in them being in the penitentiary. And so in the end, what's going to happen, because I can't take my kids to go have McDonald's, is that they're going to be Jesus-hating felons. That's what's going to happen. And now Beth and I are going to spend the rest of our lives worried about our kids rejecting Jesus and surviving their endless cycle of hard time in the big house. Have you ever had this kind of thing happen to you where one thought gets going and it just keeps going and it ends up being something absolutely ridiculous? And, you know, I was right. My kids would not look good in orange jumpsuits. And so you play that scenario far enough and you know what the enemy does. Like, Doug, you got to get a different job. You're not cut out for the ministry. And you need to do something different. And I'm hoping that I'm not the only one that has to deal with these mind games like this. I have runaway thoughts and irrational worries, and it's likely that you do too. So most of our battles, as we've been talking about in this series, are won and lost in our minds. And many of our greatest victories and our ongoing defeats right here, right here in our minds. And the response to this series, thank you for sharing some of the testimony this morning, has been incredible. And this is so applicable because it's part of every single one of us. It's part of what we face. And our minds are powerful and God created us this way. And that's why this series has been fun for me as I've gone back and done all this research and and been reading good books and challenging myself in the way that I think because all too often I forget how powerful my thoughts are. And if I forget that, it's likely that you do too. For the good and the bad, our thoughts are powerful. And so we have to have a game plan to defeat uh, negativity and anxiety and worry. And I walk into this cautiously today because I know that these are very complex and uh, issues, and I know there's lots of challenges to these things in our lives as it relates to dealing with um, disorders related to anxiety and worry. And sometimes it takes going to a doctor, and sometimes it takes getting medication, and many times it takes sitting down and unpacking these things with a counselor to kind of, which is what we talked about in the first week, about identifying strongholds and, and dealing. And so I, I want you to know that I'm not trying to minimize any of that because I know these are very real issues. But here's what I do I talk about the spiritual. And my fear is that all too often when we're dealing with worry and anxiety and all of these kinds of things that we forget that there is also a spiritual dimension to overcoming and dealing with these things in our lives too. And that's what I want to talk about today. So I want you to stay with me today. Don't check out. And and in some ways, my fear is that you might think some of what's being communicated is an oversimplification. But don't you dare say that until you've tried to put what we're going to talk about today into practice. 
And so I want to take you, as, as Pastor Chad said last week, uh, the Apostle Paul during this series is the goat to how to deal, the greatest of all time, to deal with, with our mind games and to deal with stinking thinking is what he said. And it's true. Now we're going to read a passage of scripture that at first glance could seem like, come on, Paul, do you know what you're talking about? But before I read this, I need you to know that the Apostle Paul is in jail. And he's not just in jail, he's in jail awaiting his execution. And this is what he says. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. And I get that when we read this, it might seem like somewhat of an oversimplification, but here's my main thought for this weekend, and I want you to land here with me as we walk through these things today. I must turn my worrisome thoughts into prayer prompts. That's what I want you to do this week. We're going to do some things differently. We're going to turn our worrisome thoughts into prayer prompts. Prompts, And so we're going to talk about worry and anxiety in the mind. And, and listen, we've said this before and throughout this series, this has been true as we've looked at these things. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. You know, Rob's, Pastor Rob said something in week two that was powerful. He said, listen, you can't help what comes through your mind, but you can help what you do with that thought when it does hit your mind. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So many of you know about uh, Beth and I's son, Josh, and his journey, and I'm proud to say that he doesn't hate what his pops does. He's passionate about the church, he loves Jesus, and he's never, as far as I know, done hard time in the big house. (laughs) However, uh, we've been going through this battle with him over the last several years, a battle back from a major stroke, and we learned a lot about the brain. I learned more about the brain than I ever thought I would have to know. Because of all that Josh faced, and in this book that we've been talking about during this series, if you haven't read it, I still would encourage you to get it. Pastor Craig talks about these things, some of these things in this book, Winning the War in Your Mind. And in this book, he talks about a couple of things that are unique about the way that we've been created. And what he shared reinforced what Beth and I and Josh learned as we've been walking through his recovery. Pastor Craig, in his book, talked about this little part of your brain called the amygdala. Have you heard of this before? It's a very little tiny piece of your brain, but it's critically important, and and the power that it has in our lives is unreal. It's part of the brain that's wired for survival. It's that fight or flight or freeze moment that happens when panic sets in. If your brain senses danger, the amygdala kicks into high gear, and it sends raging through your body high doses of adrenaline. Let me show you how that works. For me, I don't like snakes. If I see a snake, even with the new knee, I'm running a 4'6". 
I don't like snakes. There's this thing that happens, adrenaline kicks in. It's like when you're driving in the car and you see the lights from the police officer behind you. That feeling that you get, right? We see it when, you, when you're asleep and you hear a random noise or your spouse says, and you wake up to this, did you hear that? Right? That's the amygdala kicking in. But here's the problem. It's not objective. It's hardwired by experience. And if you study fear, you'll learn that there are two fears that are innate in every human. Two fears. The fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Now here's the key. Every other fear is learned. Two fears are innate. Loud noises and falling. And so now what what happens is this amygdala is responsible for releasing the much needed adrenaline that sparks your body to response in action. But here's what we need to land on today. It's trained to do that. It's trained. We train our brains to do that. So this is what happened a few years ago. Uh, One of the families that attends our church and the husband is one of the advisory board members, his wife, he and his wife were carrying something from one garage to the other and she got bit by a rattlesnake. And so I get this phone call. They're like, Doug, uh, we're running to the hospital. We got a rattlesnake bite here. And I was like, like I can already start to feel the panic. I was like, where where were you? You had to be hiking in the middle of the, no, we were in our driveway. I'm like, no, 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 I don't need to know that. Like, you know, I'm like, is there any way for me to get in my house without walking on a driveway now, right? And so I went to the hospital and visited with them. And of course, her leg was swollen and she's having to take anti-venom, which just reinforces in my amygdala how dangerous snakes are. And so now like when I leave the hospital, I'm like, you know, there's got to, I'm like, this is pavement. There's snakes here. I got to be careful. You hear a leaf rustle. Whoa. You're like, ah, you know, like, because I've now trained and reinforced my brain to understand that panic mode, that high alert. And I know what some of you are thinking, because you like snakes and, and you're just not right in the head, but you like snakes. And so what you're thinking right now is this, Doug, Paul also said that we need to take captive every thought, right? And I know we're supposed to do that. And here's what's interesting. If you look at the way we interact with one another, we all have different things that we get overwhelmed about, that we get concerned about, that we can have anxiety about, or that we worry about, right? We all are different in that regard. And you might not understand, you know, my fear of golden arches and snakes, and I might not understand your fears, right? And it's easy for someone that doesn't have that particular place of anxiety in their life to look at someone else and say, that's not such a big deal. You probably should just get that handled, right? And we would feel the same way about someone else. But here's where things get interesting. We're also predisposed to over-responding based on the way that we've allowed our minds to be trained. And that's why we all have these different places where we feel anxiety and where we feel fearful. Um, Neurologists will call that a neuropathway. It's learned. So this is what happens. A couple years ago, Beth calls me. She said, hey, Doug, the kids just found a snake in the front yard. I'm like, cool. Why are you calling me? She's like, I need you to get home and take care of the snake. I'm like, sweetheart, I am safe right here in my office. And listen, you are a big girl, right? And if you can't handle that, you go get a neighbor. I'm doing the Lord's work, right? Why? Because I have this trained neuropathway that this kid ain't getting anywhere near a snake. It ain't happening. So for example, some of you, your spouse calls and you think immediately, something must be wrong. 
or you send a text and someone doesn't respond right away and you think to yourself, oh, I must have done something to offend them. Or, or your kids are late coming home uh, from, from being out with their friends. For those of you that have teenagers and you're like, surely there's been a car wreck. Or maybe they're in the big house. <laughs> or your boss gives you a funny look and immediately you think, I, I wonder if I'm gonna get fired. Do you see how we've created all of these narrow pathways, and once we've kind of paved the way for those thoughts, it gets easier and easier and easier, and that's what our enemy wants. Sometimes we've developed these narrow pathways, and this is why this series is important. We've developed those pathways for so long. Here's what we think, and this is someone listening today. You think, you know what? It's just the way I am. I'm a worrier. Or I I just, anxiety, it's... It's what I do. And see, what I believe in my heart is that that's not the way God intends for us to live. And so we got to understand what Paul is saying. And he was right in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, when he said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What are we learning today? What are we saying today that I must turn my worrisome thoughts into prayer prompts? We're going to do something different. <clears throat> we need to create a new pathway. How does that happen? See, here's the beautiful thing. God just doesn't leave us to alone on this one. You've heard the verse that says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? Well, it's absolutely 100% true. The Bible tells us also that, that God is at work in us, and he is at work through us. And so this is, this is scientific truth backed up by the word of God. Left to its own, your amygdala is going to do some bad things to you, which is also why there's this logical part of our brains called the prefrontal cortex. And they work together. So you hear you're awakened at night by uh, someone in your home saying, did, did you hear that noise? And your amygdala tells you, you're gonna die! Get the bat! Right? And your prefrontal cortex says, chill out, bro, roll over. It's likely just the wind, Right? Without the prefrontal cortex, the amygdala responds according to our pre-programming. So we have people, and we have places, and we have events that trigger feelings of fear and anxiety. It's just the way it works. And this is normal. It might be encouraging for you to know that Jesus even had to deal with anxiety. Did you know that? You read the story when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, hanging, uh, heading to the cross, and what was he doing? He was, he was, he was sweating blood because he was so overwhelmed in his soul. So on your way in today, I asked a few of you, and this is what I love about our church, that we would be authentic people and not just pretend like we have things all together. And so our crew helped me today. They asked some questions and asked you to share some things that can be overwhelming and cause anxiety in your life. And I'm gonna share a couple of these today. And I want you to do two things. I want you to realize, first of all, you're not alone. But I also want you to see the sense of responsibility that we have to pray for each other. So someone shared with me today that, that their fear, that they get anxiety and they worry about is not being good enough. It's a real one. Someone said, I mostly worry about my family and something bad happening to them. Have you ever been there? I have, that's a very real concern. 
Someone said this, I appreciate your authenticity, not having kids or finding a husband. A very real fear. Our children today, the influences that are at school, YouTube, social media, and depression. Failure, fear of failure. I got that one. Being unworthy of love. These are all things, these are real things, guys. And we would be foolish to say that these just dismiss this because these are real concerns. So we have to know what to do. How do we then turn these worrisome thoughts into prayer prompts? And you see, this is so significant, what Paul was saying, and I need you to see this today. In Philippians chapter four, as we were reading, I want you to look again at the first couple of verses, six and seven. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Paul, you mean these things? Yeah. These things and my things and your things. We learn to pray about everything, and this is important for us. You see, because when, when the big test comes and you get overwhelmed, students, about that, what do we do? We're going to pray. Do you have a role in that too? Yes, study. But it's okay when you feel anxiety to pray. What about the big job interview? What do I do when I have a job interview that I really want to get this job and I want to perform well? You get ready for the interview. You prepare the best you can, and when you start to feel overwhelmed, you pray. What about when you have financial fears or fears about your kids? Yes, you do the very best that you can and then you pray. And so Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And here's my fear. You see, we think that sometimes prayer is our last line of defense. No way. It's our first line of offense. And so when those thoughts come, I know what you're thinking. Now listen to me. Some of you worried. Me too, worry. Some of you have anxiety. Me too sometimes. What do we do? Let's try Paul's game plan. Let's see what happens if we do this. So he says this, tell God what you need and thank him. That's powerful. Thank him for all he's done. Maybe if we would spend some time thinking about the goodness that's part of the life that we live too, it might distract us a little bit from the things that are so overwhelming. And then he continues, look what happens. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. Then you will, Paul says, you will experience. And what's interesting here is that this peace that he's talking about, you have to hear this today, is not about your circumstances, it's about your God. They're different. Because you can be in very overwhelming circumstances, i.e. the apostle Paul in jail, facing his own execution and have peace. Why? Because his circumstances were good? No. Because his God was good. We can learn from him in this situation. And so he continues, and he said, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. Doug's translation, it'll blow your mind. You won't know where it came from until you identify the fact that I've been praying and all of a sudden I got a peace and it shouldn't be that way because my circumstances don't seem so peaceful because it comes from our good God. And then his peace. I was thinking about this this morning when I was going over these verses again and just reading them. Remember, where was the Apostle Paul? He's in jail. And what does he use here? A metaphor. It's a powerful metaphor. He says, then this peace, what's it gonna do? Oh, it's like the big guy that was standing there in front of his jail cell, do you think? Or perhaps the guy that he was chained to in this cell that was guarding him? He says this, that God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand, his peace will stand guard of your heart. 
will stand guard of your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, you need to understand those words are a continual relationship, not a one and done. Oh, I prayed. How come it didn't go away? This is continually praying. This is bringing this back to God many times a day, daily bringing this back to him. Prayer is powerful, not the first line of, or not the last line of defense, but the first line of offense. And here's what's so amazing, verified by science, not only does prayer move the heart of God, but prayer also changes the chemistry in your brain. What? Yes, it does. For decades, neurologists believed that the brain didn't change after adolescence, but I'm going to stand before you today and thank God that that's not true. And the most important reason that I'm going to thank God that that's not true is because in just a few moments, my oldest son, Josh, is going to come walking into this church. And when he walks into this church, he's going to be talking to a whole lot of people. And when he had that, that, uh, that uh, stroke that damaged, his brain died in a couple of spots, guys. You could see it on his MRI. It died. The part of his brain that was responsible for communication and movement on the right side of his body died. But because God has so fearfully and wonderfully made us, and because Josh, Josh is one of the hardest workers I've ever seen in my life, and because he got incredible care at Craig Hospital, he can walk. His brain rerouted those signals, and today he can walk and talk. Doctors will call that neuroplasticity. It takes time. But what's interesting is that now there's a spiritual implication to this, and, and Christian neurologists are now also beginning to, dry, to describe something as neurotheology, or also known as spiritual neuroscience, that tells us that we can rewire the way our brains think. So studies have shown that there's a direct relationship between prayer and the brain. Prayer changes your brain. So Dr. Caroline Leaf in her research in book, Switch On Your Brain, reported this. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. What? So you know what we're going to do this week, don't you? We're going to start praying. We need to pray more. And so just as toxic and negative thoughts can hurt our brain, prayer heals and transforms. And like Paul said, what Paul knew, he renews the mind. Oh, that's beautiful. So what is worry? Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. So instead of letting sinful nature control my mind, guys, you and I, and the things that we all face, we all could have filled out a card today. All of the things that we worry about, we need to choose to let the spirit direct my thinking. We need to let that logical prefrontal cortex redefine those pathways. And we need to choose what is spiritual. So this week, we're going to do it different. What we want to do different is when we begin to feel, and this is the cool thing about this, we feel worry, don't we? We feel anxiety, don't we? My fear is that you've gotten so used to feeling that that you don't even recognize it anymore. But when you begin to feel worry and anxiety, that's going to be now a trigger that we're going to turn my worrisome thoughts into prayer prompts. We're going to take every thought captive. And I know what some of you are saying, come on, Doug, way easier said than done. This is hard. I've been battling this my whole life. Okay, I got a game plan. I want you to go home and I want you to make two boxes. 
I want you to make a God box, and I want you to make a worry box. And whatever it is that you have a tendency to worry about, I want you to write it down on a card. And when you get to that place where you're starting to feel worry and anxiety taking over, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that card, like this one today, our children, influences at school, YouTube, social media, and depression. And I want you to take this, and you're going to understand you have a responsibility to do the very best you can to raise your kids, but this is also God's responsibility. So Lord, I am going to metaphorically place this in your box. And I'm going to trust you with that. And then you're going to worry about something else. You're going to worry about being unworthy of love. And you're going to walk over to your God box and you're going to say, Lord, I can't carry this one myself. I need your help. I don't want to worry about this. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put this in your box. And you drop it in there. And here's what happens. Every time you start to get worried again and every time you start to get worked up again, I want you to go back to your God box and I want you to take it out and I want you to say this out loud. Lord, I'm taking it back. I'm going to be responsible for being unworthy of love now. And you walk over and you put it in your worry box. Say, but God, I want this now. Until you realize again that that's not working. And you take it back out of your worry box and you walk back over and you're like, Lord, I can't do this one. I don't want to be overwhelmed with worry about this. I don't want to have anxiety over whatever it is. Lord, I am going to put this in my box. And I know what someone's thinking right now. Doug, that's so simple. Hey, listen. I double dog dare ya. Just begin to do it and see what happens when we do. You see, it's possible. This is a choice that you and I need to make. What are we going to do with these worrisome thoughts? And again, listen, I know this is a very complicated subject, but if you haven't tried to attack what you're dealing with on a spiritual level, I'm begging you today to try because my God is big and so is yours. And he's got a plan for us to deal with these thoughts. And if our life is moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, then we need to take those thoughts captive. You need to ask yourself today, do I like the direction that my thoughts are taking me? If you don't control what you think, you're never gonna control what you do. And so today, as we land in this place of just connecting in our minds and our hearts with the reality of the way so many, myself too, can live with worry and anxiety and stress, Can you please do it different this week? Just try. Just try from my heart to yours. Will you please try? Because God has a plan for you. And he's so practical and his word works when we do what it says. And if you and I can learn to turn our worrisome thoughts into prayer prompts, things will change. Things will change. Will you please try? Because I love you. And I believe this can help. And more importantly, your God loves you. And he knows that it could help. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I know this is a tough topic to tackle. And I know there's some, myself included, that have lived through or maybe currently right now are living through seasons in our lives where worry and anxiety just seem to take over and We just don't see a clear path for ever overcoming this. And Lord, I know some people here today and those that are worshiping online would be in a place where they're saying, Doug, it's just become who I am. I'm a worrier. I just live with anxiety. And Father, I understand the complexity of this and there's all kinds of 
issues that need to be addressed and we need doctor's help and we need medication sometimes and we need to see counselors and unpack these things. But Lord, my fear is that we've never attacked this thing on a spiritual level. And I know there's help there. Will you please encourage someone today that's just living overwhelmed with anxiety and worry? Would you encourage them today that that there could be some help out there? That our God is big enough and cares so much that, that he would lay out for us a plan of attack and a strategy. And it may seem silly to make a couple of boxes. Lord, I'm praying I get pictures of boxes in our homes as we, as we learn to counteract these narrow pathways that we've developed over years and years of years of stinking thinking. And will you help us, God? When we do our part, will you meet us in the middle and do your part too? I trust you, Lord. Today I stand on your word believing that it's true. And I ask today that you will bring relief to someone that has lived with a cloud of worry and anxiety for years. Lord, I pray for the person that might be here or worshiping online somewhere that has not yet said yes to having a relationship with you. And today, just realizing once again the power that is available to us in that relationship. And as we declare you to be the Lord of our life more, then we got power at work in us that, that's just not human power, it's, it's heavenly power. And if that's you and you'd say, Doug, man, I need help. I've been battling these things in my life and I realize that I need God in my life and I want to say yes to him. Just tell him that today. Just say, Lord, I need you. I want you. I thank you for what you've done for me. I thank you that you went to the cross and I ask you to today forgive me. Set my life on a different path, a path of victory where I can know the power of the Holy Spirit and God at work in my life. Lord, this week, will you remind us even though we've developed such pattern of behavior that we would turn those worrisome thoughts into prayer prompts. Give us victory, Lord, starting today. As we walk through this week, will you help us to create some room for you? Some room for you to do your thing. Because sometimes we get so busy and our lives get so crowded that, that we've just pushed you all the way out. And today we're reminded, you want to be in the middle of our life. You want to be in the middle of our thoughts. And we want to have victory, so we invite you, Lord, this week, that we would find that place, spending a few minutes in prayer, to rewire our brains to think differently. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And thank you that you care so much about us, that when we make room for you this week, you can help us with those fears. You can help us with that worry. And you can help us with that anxiety. Will you stand to your feet? As we sing this song, let's decide together to make room for him to do what he's promised he will. <laughs>